we're in First Samuel, and we will be covering all of chapter four this this evening. Um, so I was thinking about this at that man. The times they are changing, as we saw in First Samuel chapter three, as the Lord was raising up young Samuel, and now the Lord was speaking to Samuel. And not only speaking to Samuel, but he was going to be speaking to the nation of Israel after a long period of time of not speaking to the nation of Israel. It had been hundreds of years since they really had heard directly from the Lord in such a powerful way. And so the Lord spoke to young Samuel and confirmed to him the judgment that was going to come upon his mentor, his father figure, his priest, on Eli, the priest, and his household. Now now understand, again, we're looking at, in chapter 3, that this young man was probably about 12 years old when God spoke to him. And now Samuel was of age in that day especially that he had to grow up. It was a time to grow up, a time to mature, a time to get started in the things that God had been calling him to do or had called him to do. And so we read at the end of chapter 3 that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And he didn't let any of his words that he spoke, that he was giving to him and that he was speaking out, he didn't let any of his words fall to the ground, it says. And I love that. Because everything that that God was ministering to him about, he was pouring it out. And and it was reaching the, 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 the ears of the people that hadn't heard from the Lord in a long time. And so nothing was wasted in this young man's life. God was using him in a powerful light, in a powerful way, and he was growing in the Lord. And, it, and, and the people, it says, from the northern part of Israel to the southern part of Israel were now recognizing him as a prophet. They hadn't had a prophet in forever since Moses. Moses was considered a prophet, but they didn't have prophets after Moses. So that's like 400 years ago. And, and God was using judges for about 300 years and for over 100 years, if not more, God really wasn't speaking and now they have a prophet on the scene. And even though chapter 4 starts off by saying, and the word of the Lord came to all of Israel, or the word of Samuel came to all of Israel, most believe that that little portion, that, that sentence should go with the previous verse and chapter, chapter 3. And more than likely, it, it, it does belong with chapter 3 because when, when we start looking in chapter 4, besides that one little sentence there, we won't hear or see Samuel until chapter 7. We're not going to hear of him and we're not going to hear from him until chapter 7. And so what we have in the next few chapters is the nation of Israel going to battle and God dealing with the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. You know, it, it's it's not a, an encouraging chapter, really. Diana, our secretary, she says, hey, uh, what's is there a verse that I can throw on Facebook real quick for tonight? I go kind of a downer um nothing but death and destruction which one do you want to use (laughs) because again man it it is judgment judgment time has come and so there wasn't really i don't know if she threw anything on there or not but it's like i don't know the only the only encouraging kind of raw raw kind of verses are the philistines talking to each other it's like hey don't be a little girl man up you know, and so let's read the first 11 verses and see where we go from here. It says, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped besides Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. 
Now, the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that it may come among us, um, that when it comes among us, it will save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh, that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwelled between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? When they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines, so the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp, and they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues of the wilderness in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourself like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews, so they have been to you, as they have been to you. Conduct yourself like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter, and there fell of Israel... 32,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of the, um, the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas died. Whoa, not, a, not an uplifting kind of area or a portion of scripture. But before we really get into these verses, there's two things that we really need to be looking at here so we can get a better understanding uh, of, 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 of kind of what's going on. And, and that's the, the Philistines. I want to look at the Philistines and explain to you who they are. They were the enemy of the nation of Israel. And then the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, to better get an understanding of what we will be covering tonight. So first, let's look at the Philistines. We've heard of the Philistines for for a lot of years. You know, maybe if you've read through the Old Testament, but some people might not be familiar with the Philistines. The the, the Philistines were the main enemy of the nation of Israel. During the, the, the period of the judges, especially in that time frame, the Philistines were always um, coming against Israel. During their, their monarchy as well, they're, they're, the Philistines are in and out. They're, they're always there. They are a non-Semitic people, a non-Jewish people. And it's interesting because as I was looking at the word Semitic, it comes from the word Shem, Shem, Shemitic, which is one of the sons of Noah. And, and Shem, he went to the region of what we would know as as Persia or Syria, Assyria in that area that kind of blended into the uh, Jewish area the, of Palestine in, in, um, in Israel. And so these people were not part of that line. These people were, were more from the tribe or they were from the tribe or the, the sons of, of Noah from Ham. And they populated northern Africa area and into the southern part of Palestine or Israel. Now, when I say the southern part, if you looked at Israel like you would look at California, it would be like the San Diego County, that bottom part 
of Israel. That's where they were at. And, and they kind of took over that whole area right there. And, um, and so these guys, they originated from and they migrated from probably more of the, the Mediterranean Sea, which would be in the island of Crete, and also from the uh, Aegean Sea, which kind of goes up where you see Ephesus and Thessalonica, that sea right there, if you look in your maps, from that, from, there's all kinds of islands. So it's believed that these guys came from those islands and they just kind of migrated and stayed in that area right there. The first time we hear about the Philistines is in uh, Genesis chapter 10, again, when they are mentioned as, as far as Noah's son, Ham, is, is, um, is mentioned. Um, they are called the Philistines, but they populated the area of Palestine, and, and Palestine and the Philistines, the word Philistines are associated to one another. They came in two different migrations into that area. One, it was um, at the time of Abraham, for sure, they came. And when Abraham was there and the Philistines came, they were more friendly to him, but they started having problems with Isaac and all the wells that were being or that they had dug, and these guys went in there and filled up the the wells. Uh, but they became more of a threat to the nation of Israel in the second migration, when they came in, and it was more of the time of the judges, and they really became an enemy of Israel. They lived in five towns in that southern part of Israel or Palestine. Um, and it's uh, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ekron, Gath, and Ashdod. And those are the five major cities that they kind of had um, in that time frame. These guys were very um, advanced in, 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 um, in metal, especially iron. It says in one of them that they were technic, uh, they, they had this technical, uh, they were more technical, techn- technology. They, they were more advanced because they, they did stuff with iron and, and they had other kinds of skills. Their primary God was Dagon. And we're going to see him next in the next couple of chapters. And Dagon, uh, he represented or he was represented by having like a human torso and body kind of. And, and the bottom part was, was fish. And so if, if you've seen, see this image, and some of you guys have seen it, it's kind of on the side, he's like this, and it's like fish on the bottom. Now, it's interesting because these people, because they came from the sea onto the mainland, they were considered the, the people of the sea, or the sea people. And so they, they had the worship of Dagon. Now, the Ark of the Covenant... The Ark of the Covenant was a piece of furniture that was the only thing that was in the Holy of Holies. That was the only thing that was in there. The, the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place. It was like the most important piece of furniture. If, if you look at the dimensions, and it is kind of interesting, it's about as big as this pulpit if it was laying down. Kind of the same dimensions, laying down. And so it was about that big, and it contained the law of Moses. And at one time, it also contained Aaron's rod that budded, and it also contained a bowl of manna. All of these things represented God's guidance, God's power, and God's provision for the people of Israel. But at that time, it more than likely, it just had the law of Moses in it. But it also had a lid that sat on top of it. And granted, all of this is made out of acacia wood and it's all overlaid with gold. So it's very like goldish. And the lid had these two cherubim that like angels and their wings touched. And so again, you can imagine this size thing and the cherubim right there. And the the lid was, was... was representative of the throne of God here on earth. It was also known as 
the mercy seat. That is where God's glory came down upon. And it is believed that the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Now, nobody really got to see a lot of the Ark of the Covenant because it was in the most holy place. Probably the only time that people really saw it is when when they were traveling, when they were dismantling the temple and taking it out, but maybe they would cover it. I don't know. But they had to carry it a certain way. It, there was rules and regulations to all of it, right? And so they're, they're going out, but it represented the presence of God. And there was a time when Moses took it out into a battle. And other than that, I don't remember it really kind of going out in battle except for what we read here. And so in verses 1 and 2, Israel went out to battle with the Philistines. Now, it doesn't tell us what the battle was all about. But then again, people don't always need a really good reason to go and fight. They could just disrespect one another or look, you know, throw a hard look at somebody and it's like, war's on. So they're in battle. And, it, and we know that there was times later on that the kings, there was a certain season when you went out to battle. It was just time to go fight. But no sooner do we see that, that the Lord is beginning to speak to the nation of Israel. He's beginning to do a work in and through or with the nation of Israel. And now the enemies of God or the enemy of God is now on Israel's heels. And isn't that interesting when somebody decides that they want to get closer to God or that God is beginning to do a work in their life, all of a sudden the enemy appears and the battle is on. And this is where we kind of see what's happening here. I'm sure they had other battles before and things like that. But we're just kind of studying and looking here that, that Samuel now, God is beginning to speak and now the enemy is coming against them. Now, Aphek, um, where the Philistines were encamped, is about 25 miles west of Shiloh. And Ebenezer would have been to the east of that, we're not quite sure where it's at, but to the east of that, which would be closer or more on the territory of Israel or Palestine. And it doesn't tell us how long this little skirmish happened or how long it lasted, but Israel was defeated and they lost 4,000 men. And it was time to regroup. Trying to figure out why did this happen? How did this happen? And it's interesting because they come back together and as they gather together, they go, why did God do this to us? Why did God allow this to happen in our life? He begins to talk to us. We go out and now we're defeated and it's God's fault. It's God's fault that, that, that this has happened in our lives. Now, the interesting thing is, because we're not told anything that they sought the Lord for any reason. They didn't seek the Lord to go out to battle. They just went out to battle. Before they went out to fight, they just assumed that God was going to go before them. But it never tells us that they spent time acknowledging God, they just went out. Now that they've gotten defeated, now they're coming back and saying, okay, we need to do something. And so it's not until after the fact that they realized that they needed the presence of God with them to be on their side and to fight for them. It was after the fact. So as they regroup, they come to the conclusion that we need to send somebody back to Shiloh and get get the Ark of the Covenant. So it's quite possible that Eli's sons had not been with them right now. So when they go back, they get Eli's sons to bring the Ark of the Covenant and they bring it back to them. Now, one might think, well, if you would have done that from the get-go the outcome would have been different, right? If you would have had the Ark of the Covenant there, everything would have been different. Not necessarily. 
Because we, we have to look at a few things that is happening here in the nation of Israel and in this story itself. What, what, what's going on here? They know that the Ark of the Covenant, what, they know what the Ark of the Covenant is all about. But what to, they're doing and what it looks like to me as we're looking at this, it looks like, hey, we need a good luck charm here. We just need the Ark of the Covenant there because the way it's kind of worded here, it says, let us bring the, bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. Let's bring it to us. When, and, and, and when it comes among us, it will save us from the hands of the enemy. You, you, you hear nothing, know that it's the presence of the Lord, but they're thinking that thing if we just have it with us, everything should go good. And, and this is where, as I was looking at it, it's like people who feel like, well, if I just carry my Bible with me, nothing ha- bad will ever happen to me because I have this. Right? Or, or when people decide, well, if I wear a cross, I should be protected from any kind of evil because I have the sign of the cross on me. I, I, I remember as, as, as a young man, as a Christian, or no, not a Christian, as a Catholic, um, you know, when I got my first truck, had to buy me my little statue, my little saint, and put it right on the dash so it can go before me. So I can be protected. It didn't matter if I was drinking while I was driving didn't matter if I had gotten high before I got in the vehicle. It didn't matter if I was like speeding or trying to pick up on girls. But I had my little statue with me. And so everything should be okay, right? And this is what I'm kind of looking at here. It's like we need the Ark of the Covenant with us. Because as long as the Ark of the Covenant is with us, everything will be hunky-dory. Everything will be good. But you see... They're using it as a prop. They're using it as a a good luck charm. And I think oftentimes, even as Christians, we, we have that mentality that if I have the right things with me, then nothing should ever come against me. And what they're lacking here is a true relationship with God. You see, they thought that it could help them, not God. We need it to to, to have with us. And it will help us because right now we're having to deal with the hand of the enemy. It wasn't so much the glory of, of God that they were after. It was more of a good luck charm. They were dealing more with the hand of the enemy and not so much with the hand of God upon them. Matter of fact, if they would have asked for God beforehand, maybe the the hand of God would have been upon them, but they didn't do that. And then the people that they have representing them as their spiritual advisors are the sons of Eli who were the least spiritual and most corrupt of all of the nation of Israel. And so it's almost like they're thinking, well, we have the right, well, we have the priests, but they're disobedient, they're corrupt. We have this Ark of the Covenant. It's supposed to represent the presence of God, but they were lacking the presence of God because they didn't even seek the presence of God. They they just wanted the, the, the Ark. They thought that that would save them. They, they want God to give them the victory and in one sense to bless them. But they are not or, or have not, nor have they been obedient to the Lord. But they, got, they want God's blessing on it. They, they, they want to live their life the way they want to live their life on a regular basis. But right now they're in a battle and they've been defeated. And it's like, hey, um, God, we need you to come down and just take care of it right now. It's interesting because as I was studying this, even this morning at home, I got a prayer request from someone that, that, you know, I guess on Facebook and stuff that says, hey, pray for me. I'm going through a difficult situation. 
And I want to pray for them. But I know their life. And it's tough because it's like, yeah, you want God to, to protect them and save them, but they're not walking with the Lord the way they should be walking with the Lord. And they know it. But now they're in a bind and they're saying, hey, somebody shoot up a prayer for me. Some, somebody, somebody tell God to bless my life. But I really don't want to walk with God totally with Him. And this is what I'm seeing here. They want the victory. They, got, they want God's blessing. But they have not been walking in God's obedience. But they want the blessing of God. And it was hard this morning as I'm going, okay, Lord, I want to pray for this. I really do. But I'm reading this right here. And all of this is going through my mind. I'm going, Lord, how do you want me to pray for this person? Because what I, what I really want to pray is, Lord, Lord, bring them to their knees. And whatever difficulty they're going through, whatever you got to do, so that they will continue to walk with you. And that's a tough prayer, man. Because you don't want something bad to happen. <laughs> but you see, it's almost like outwardly, they, they, they want to have it all together. Hey, pray for me. Really? How, how's your devotional life been on a regular basis? How, how's your, how's your, 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 your walk with Jesus doing on a regular basis? Because I could guarantee you that if their walk was on, on a regular basis, a consistent level, I'm not saying that they're not going to deal with difficulties they would know how to be praying for themselves as well. Not that they couldn't ask for a prayer. Don't get me wrong, guys. But they thought, hey man, they're throwing a lifeline out there. Somebody help me. But they haven't been faithful themselves. You see, because outwardly they want something, but inwardly something's not going to change. They really don't have, and like these people here, really don't have no regard for doing what God's Word says to them. And when they feel defeated, and when something doesn't go their way, they're going, why has God done this to us? So now it's time to outwardly do what they know that they should do. But inwardly, nothing is really going to change. And see, God knows that. <laughs> he sees that. And there's times where people are like taking God off the shelf because they're, they're really going through a difficult time and God's going, why should I answer your prayer right now? Why? You haven't sought me in how long? Because oftentimes, let's just say God does deliver. They go back to business, business as usual. And, it work, and if it works out for them, great. Thank you, God. See you later. Or they think, well, it wasn't as bad. I really didn't need God. I took care of it. Hey, guys, thanks for praying. But I took care of it. And if God doesn't come through at all in their situation and worse comes to worse in those people's lives, even like here, all of a sudden they're saying, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Now, turn over to Deuteronomy 28 if you'd like. I'm just going to read a few verses to you here. Because I think it, 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 it says a lot and I know this is the Old Testament, but man, oh man, we look at this in, verse, in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 7. It says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. 
because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And he continues to say, and he will bless this, this, this. And he goes on and on. And you get to verse 7. He says, and the Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come against you one way and flee from you seven ways. And if you go over to verse 15, he says, but... It shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which He commanded you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then he kind of goes on and and, and, and does the opposite of the other verses, the blessings and now the cursings. But it says in verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out you shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. And so there's a consequence for obedience and, and, and for disobedience. And, and and if you turn over a page in Deuteronomy or two pages, verse Uh, chapter 30 verse 11 to 15 it says for this commandment which i command you today is not too mysterious for you it is not far off it is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven and bring uh, for us and bring it to us that it may that we may hear it and do it or nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And it's almost again as we go back, we're seeing this nation of Israel who has not been obedient, but they're saying, bless me, Lord. Give me the victory. And so in verses 5 through 11, we see that this battle, the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant comes with them and they get so excited. They are so happy because outwardly they have the Ark of the Covenant in their presence and they're shouting for joy so much so, so that the earth shakes beneath them. Outwardly, man, it should work perfect from here on out. The camp at uh, Ebenezer is joyous because of the Ark of the Covenant being there. But they really don't trust the power of its contents. The substance, the substance of, that, of that Ark of the Covenant, they really don't trust. They are just trusting in the thing that got there. But they're excited. They're excited to to have this thing in front of them. And here's the interesting thing about this whole thing. When their enemies find out that the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant is in their camp, they are more fearful because they know the stories about God. They understand the power of God. And yet these people who should know the power of God are are, are exempt, or or not exempt, but they're, they're like not even trusting in the power. They've been disobedient this whole time. And these other guys, these enemies are going, no, I know what God can do. I know he's in their power. Woe to us. Woe to us because we've heard the stories hundreds of years ago of what they did to the Egyptians. Who can stand against this God? It's almost like they had more fear and more reverence to God than the people of Israel did. But to them, hey, we have it in our midst here. They wanted the presence of the Lord. But they would put them back on the shelf as soon as they were done with them. What they didn't know, what the enemies didn't know, was that the children of Israel had been in rebellion. They didn't know that the children of Israel had been in disobedience. And that the power that they feared was not going to help them. (laughs) Matter of fact, that power that they feared, in one sense, was going to use them to teach them a lesson. And so it's almost like, but 
They have the Ark of the Covenant. Shouldn't everything go good? I have my Bible and I carry it with me all the time. Shouldn't everything go good for me in my life? Not if you're not being obedient or consistent. <laughs> I mean, but this is not the good luck charm. Especially in today's, He lives within us. And yet we have the power of God, the presence of God in our lives, but so often we deny the power thereof. And see, the consequences or the judgment for their disobedience was, now to, was about to come upon them. And it's interesting because we kind of covered that a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning. That as Christians, we can rebel. We can become disobedient. And oftentimes the judgment comes in the form of consequences for our disobedience. And God was going to use the enemy to teach them a lesson. Now, I'm not saying that God can't move quickly and save His people when they turn and repent. But that's not what we see here. We don't see any repentance. We don't see these people repenting for for their disobedience. They just want their good luck charm there. Lord, take care of it. No, God was going to let the consequences play out. Because he had to he had to do that. Judgment had to come upon the sons of Eli. And now they were out in the battlefield and they were both going to have to die. And unfortunately, other people would pay the price as well. Was it just because of dis- their disobedience? Ah, maybe not. Everybody was disobedient at the time. And God was going to bring judgment. And, and the consequences was not going to be pleasant. In Galatians 6, 7 through 9, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, people often want a quick fix. Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't want a quick fix? You know, when, when we get ourselves in trouble with God, it's like, help! And you want God to just rescue you. But more often than not, God will let things play out. He will, play, he will allow things to go through the process. And if we do not grow weary in the process, in due season we will reap what we have sown. Now, I often use this portion of Scripture in talking to people who, who for years have messed up their lives. And they come in, it's like, okay, well, I accepted Jesus in my heart and my wife left, but I want her back and he's gonna, she's going to come back right now because I'm a Christian, right? And it's like, mm, geez, I don't know, bro. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen. It could. I don't want I, I to say that, that, that God can't fix this marriage, but it's taken you years to jack it up this bad. Right? And now you want it fixed right now because, again, it's like, well, I got a good luck charm. I accepted Jesus in my life. And so now everything's hunky-dory. Right? Now, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure most of you guys have seen around town here, when, when somebody buys a, a piece of property, and, and again, it, it's a desert, but all of a sudden they start cultivating it. And they start planting all these trees. I mean, we see them all over the place. Man, people are planting trees all over these orchards. When, when I look at that, <clears throat> I'm thinking, for years the land has stayed desert. And now somebody has come in and now they're taking a lot of time, a lot of work to plant. And it might not be for, for a year, two years, three years where they really begin to see fruit. But see, it doesn't happen overnight. To, to plant something like that, it takes time. They begin to cultivate and then they begin to, to sow and pretty soon they will reap. But, but if they decide, hey man, see this two and a half acres, man? I want fruit and I want it by tomorrow. They go inside. God, do it. Do it. 
God's going, yeah, somebody needs to be out there start hoeing and start digging. Right? But see, it doesn't happen overnight because, again, I look at these all the time and I'm thinking, man, they, they are putting a lot of work into it. And even after it's all done and, man, they're in a row and, man, everything looks watering system, guess what? We'd still grow up. We'd, we'd, they have to go out there and maintain this thing continually. But, man, can you imagine if they just thought, you know what, forget it, man, there's weeds again. It will go right back to the desert. Right back. And you see, oftentimes, people want a quick fix in their life because now they have a good luck charm. And God's going, no, it's going to take time. And then after that, it's going to take effort (laughs) to continue. You see, the children of Israel here thought, yay, we have the, the Ark of the Covenant with us. But they really didn't put any effort into it. They really didn't. People oftentimes, if they don't see quick results in God moving, they get weary. In fact, I tried it. It doesn't work. It's like, no, you just do it for the rest of your life. What do you mean, like a month? And everything should be better. It's like, no, just just continue to do it. And people are going, well, I've been doing it for uh, uh, six months, a year. Nothing's changed. So I just continue. You see, to them, they want that quick fix. They want, they, they want the good luck charm to, to just, hey, let me rub it, and it should come true. It's not always the case. Verses 12 to the end of the chapter here. Then a man from Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the, way, by the wayside um, watching. For his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out loud. Then Eli heard the noise of the outcry. He said, what does the sound of the turmoil mean and the man quickly came quickly to and told Eli Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see then the man said to Eli I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line and he said what happened my son so the messenger answered and said Israel has fled before the Philistines And there was a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark, that Eli fell off the, the seat backwards by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy. And he had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child due to be d- delivered. And when she heard the news of the ark of God was captured, that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to, uh, said to her, Do not fear, for you have bore a son. But she did not answer, nor, she regard, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because her, hus- her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel. For the ark of the Lord, or the ark of God, has been captured. What a sad story. What a sad story. This man, this runner, who who was on the front lines, runs 20-some miles. And he makes it in the same day, because that's what they were 
runners did that. And one of the telltale signs that things are not going well when the runner is coming towards the city is when he has his clothes ripped and he has dust all over his head. Never a good sign. It's a sign of sorrow and distress. And why not? (laughs) Israel had retreated. 3,400 men had been lost in this battle. Total. Both the sons of Eli had been killed. And the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. Could it get any worse for them? And as he's telling Eli, Eli falls over, breaks his neck, and he's dead. It's like, yes, it could get worse. Now the priest is gone. And on top of that, when the daughter-in-law hears of it, she goes into labor and delivers a son and she dies. But before she dies, she says, Ichabod, that's his name because that's what it means. It means inglorious. The glory of the Lord has departed. There is no presence of God anymore. Because of the Ark of the Covenant. And it's interesting because they were more concerned about the Ark of the Covenant than anything else. They had that sense in them. It's like, God just left us. God just left us. And again, you're looking at the story and you're going, Okay, Lord, what, 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 what do we get from this? It's like, well, <laughs> a good reminder... Where it says in Second Peter three nine, it says, "For for the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." God had time and time again had given this nation, given Eli, given his sons, all the opportunity to repent, and they did not repent. They did not turn from their evil ways. And because of that, a nation was affected. Can you imagine the runner who's having to bring this bad news? And as he says the bad news, that cat falls over and dies. And I'm sure you heard about the daughter-in-law. He's going, what do I do with this? There was devastation. Now it almost seems like, man, where's God in all this? Has he lost control too? Did God really depart? No, he didn't depart. God was still going to be with them. God had been raising up a a, a person in the name of, of Samuel. He was preparing him. Because the people, even though they would now hear the voice of the Lord, they would continue to be disobedient. But God would be speaking to them. And God never stops. He never stops dealing with us and dealing with the people. This is by no means a happy and uplifting chapter, but a good reminder once again for us about disobedience, about rebellion, about not repenting. You see, we're living in an age of grace, guys. And God will sometimes allow things to happen in our lives because we have not repented. When we sin, we we come right back to Him and we fall on our knees and we ask for forgiveness and we repent and we turn and we walk the other way. Because of that, God will continue to bless. But if there is no repentance in our lives, why should He answer your prayer? Why should He answer our prayer? He has no obligation to us if we want to be disobedient. Curses will will come upon us. As it says in Deuteronomy, you're going, no, but we're not living in the Old Testament. Okay, consequences will come upon us. We use a different word than curses. But consequences will come because if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption, even as a Christian. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life and the things that come with everlasting life. But let us not grow weary in doing well. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. When God doesn't work it out the way you want it to be worked out, do not lose heart. He will not leave you. You know, when David says, Lord, don't take your your spirit from me, 
See, God doesn't play that game with us here. Jesus died once and for all. He doesn't play around with the salvation. His spirit is in you. But you can quench the spirit if you want to. And then you're going, but I, but I, but I have my Bible. I come to church. I have a sticker on my car. I have all the right things. I listen to worship every day. But your heart is far from Him. Your sin that you're caught up in, you do not want to repent and turn from it. And you're going, but I don't know why God's not blessing. I keep on being defeated in my life. It's like, well, check yourself, bro. Check yourself because you're wrecking yourself. Because you're not walking the way you should be walking. These guys wanted the presence of God. He says, I can't. I can't be there. You can, t- you can take the ark. Go ahead. <laughs> but my presence won't go with it. And guys, we cannot lie to ourselves. We cannot fool ourselves that we can continue to be disobedient or rebellious in what God has told us we should not be rebellious in or disobedient in and expect a different outcome. We can't. And so I want to encourage you that we are living in the age of grace. But God still requires obedience. He still requires. And so be consistent in obeying His Word. There's where the blessings will come from as well. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, once again, we bless You and we thank You, Lord. God, as You give us these examples time and time again, Lord, as we see how the nation of Israel, Lord, they just wanted it to be there. But they really didn't ask for you to truly come upon them and change them. And so, Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would help us as believers to keep that short leash with you, Lord, that when we sin, we're turning right around and asking for forgiveness, Lord, that we are not allowing our sin to fester that we're not allowing it to separate us from from your presence, O Lord. But that we would repent and that we would fall upon your grace, Lord. And that it would fall upon us, Lord. And then we get right back up and walk with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Remind us, Lord, of your presence continually. Go with us now, we ask, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer for anything, man, if the Lord has ministered to your heart and you're going, whoa, come up for prayer, man. These guys want to pray for you.